Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. I'm Rachel. And this week, I really have been praying about what I was supposed to share with you all this week. And I had this concept previously that came to mind, and I didn't even realize how much it was going to align with everything else I wanted to share with you today about Matthew 5. This is such a rich, rich chapter, and it's Yeshua talking to us. He is speaking to us. Um, Well, he's speaking for us. He was speaking to a multitude. They went up, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, is how the chapter begins. So Yeshua is speaking to his disciples, but he is speaking on our behalf as well. And we can learn so much from this chapter. So I hope you all are doing well. Um, thank you to those of you who went ahead and signed up for my paid podcast, which includes not just this, but at least two other installments during the week. I am doing a weekly political update, which I'm getting better and better at. I'm having all those journalism uh, studies that I did years and years ago from college coming back to me. I am sourcing this week. There's a lot of news. So we'll be running down uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who is Prince Charles. This week, we'll be talking again. We always do. We're going to do COVID updates because that just seems to go in and out of the news like crazy. And um, some World Economic Forum information, all sorts of things in the paid political installment that's going to happen this week. And then I'm going to have another song for you for you all, um, God willing. I've been working it and working it, and it's a little outside of my normal style. So it's a happier up-tempo tune, which is not always easy to produce on your own. But hey, I'm going to have it done for you all this week, which I'm excited about. And this is another one that does align with the book that I released this last year. So, um, this one's all about the family and all about being a part of God's family, which is why we do this, right? We come to learn, we come together to discuss scripture and to try to understand God better because we're family, because we're in relationship and because we love this God who has given us so much. We want to understand his kingdom principles that much better. So those of you who signed up for that, thank you. That's a huge blessing to me. And it really kind of got a fire under my butt to continue and to keep working and keep going. Uh, For those of you who've read the book, if you enjoyed it. An Amazon review would be hugely helpful. Sharing it with friends would be hugely helpful. The same with the podcast, wherever you listen to it. um, If there's a way to review it, if there's a way to share it, that would be really helpful to me because I only have the circle of friends and family that I have. But I would love to have more people involved and get more perspectives. Honestly, I think we need to have more opportunity to converse and to ask questions and have different ideas. And once I kind of get um, more folks on board, I'm going to have a question and answer section every week to the podcast as well. 
We could do that now. If you have any questions, biblical questions, stuff that you've been wanting to research or stuff that you have a perspective on, but you'd like maybe some other perspective, feel free to reach out and let me know. Um, maybe something your pastor said that really bothered you, but you're not sure why, or something that um, you'd like to have researched a little better to share with some other people regarding your views on things. Um I love to do that. That's my favorite. I, I love to research and learn. So I'm happy to do that with you. Um, and we can include it as part of our podcast installments. So we're going to dig into Matthew 5 today. If you haven't read Matthew 5 recently, you're going to love this. You really are because there's so much here. So let's just start. We're going to read through the whole thing and kind of do, I guess this would be an exegesis of the scripture and talk about the meaning of some of the terms that Jesus is using here that we miss when we don't really understand um, the culture and the context and the time. But there's some other fun tidbits here that uh, are reflections of the Old Testament that I want to share with you today. So again, Matthew 5, 1 starts this way, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake." couple things to point out in here. Blessed are the meek. A lot of times we don't really understand what the word meek means, but I've come to understand that meek means that you have the ability to fight. You have unbelievable weaponry at your disposal, but you choose mercy. You choose graciousness. You keep your sword sheathed for as long as you possibly can. You not, it doesn't mean that you're powerless and it doesn't mean you're crawling around on your belly on the earth. It actually means that you have the self-control and the wisdom from the Lord to not use all your powers against other people. That's what meekness is, okay? And so we're supposed to have the armor of God. We're supposed to understand this sword of truth that is double-edged and can cut through things. And we understand how to use these things wisely. Not only that, but we become adults, not only physically and mentally, but spiritually. And yet in our adulthood, we don't wield that power against others, against those who are weaker than us. We use it to serve and to bless. So that's what I've come to understand meekness to mean here in this context. I also want to point out to you, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Okay, these are false accusations that are leveled against people. That is so rampant in our society today. Anytime someone is out there, you know, encouraging godliness or righteousness, sometimes not always right, you know, in the best possible way. But you find that the media will find a way to level false accusations. And Yeshua is saying here, blessed are you when that happens to you and when that persecution takes place. Not something we exactly like to hear, but something that is kind of expected if you're standing up for righteousness. And so know that in the kingdom of heaven, you're blessed when that happens, especially if you deal with it righteously. Okay. 
It says in verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I think sometimes we're so caught up in what is happening in our own personal lives. We don't really put ourselves in the shoes of the prophets in scripture, of someone like Joseph in scripture, of someone like David in scripture. These people endured a lot. They lost everything. They were, I mean, the situations they found themselves in would be traumatizing, right? And could absolutely steal your faith and your hope and your trust in the Lord. But they held on. And they're our inspiration to understand whatever it is you're facing. Even though it might be different than what other people have faced in the past, in the same sense, you are called to hold on to keep your faith, to keep your joy, to keep that strength in the Lord, because he sees he has not forgotten you. You're not alone. Now, I think this section of the blesseds is an interesting reflection of something that is stated in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And instead of the blesseds, what we get here are the seven detestable things to the Lord. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable detestable to him. Now, listen if this sounds like a reflection to you of the Matthew 5 section we just read. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I mean, we could just take each of these things one by one and reflect them back on what what is blessed according to Yeshua and see that God hates the opposite of these blesseds. A great example here, the one we just talked about, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, on the other side of that coin, God despises the false witness who pours out lies. He despises that witness. And by witness, I don't mean the human being. I mean their testimony. He despises false testimony against others. He despises the stirring up of conflict in the community. He hates that, okay? Hands that shed innocent blood. I mean, that is just the opposite, right, of being a peacemaker, of being meek, that of being poor in spirit. That's the, it's the opposite. God despises the opposite of that. Um, haughty eyes, right? God despises those who are narcissistic and egomaniacal, who think they know better than everybody else, who are lording things over others. And instead he says, but blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness versus those who devise wicked schemes. God hates a heart that devises wicked schemes. And so you have in the Old Testament, you have in Proverbs, this warning to young people, don't do these things. God absolutely despises this behavior. And in Proverbs 6.12, it says, A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So this section 
of Proverbs 6 is really discussing things that God just despises, behavior God despises. But Yeshua tells us then on the opposite side, the character and the behaviors that are blessed, that he loves. And he's reminding his disciples, these, you're going to be despised for standing for me. You're going to come across wickedness and evil. Don't let it bait you. This is such a message to us today. I believe that the righteous of God and those who believe in God's things are oftentimes being baited into bad behavior. That we're they're trying to entrap us into violence and maliciousness and the same sort of wicked behavior that Satan and his minions want people to behave in. Don't take the bait. Remember, remember, the reason that you do all that you do is to be of service because Christ tells us that it is those who are servants of all. Those are the ones, those are the people who will have the higher position in his kingdom. It's so important. Don't take the bait. Keep your peacemaking. And doesn't mean that you keep the peace. Peacemaking means you can go into a violent situation and make it more peaceful. Peacemaking means that you're willing to even do the hard things that might look different than what everyone else is doing in order to make peace in the long run. Being a peacemaker is a more complex idea than just being a nice person. Being a nice person is not the same thing, in my opinion, as being a peacemaker. If you're going to make wholeness somewhere, sometimes it requires sacrifice or difficulty or challenge, but that's our call. Let's keep going in Matthew 5 here. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith will it be? salty. Let me see here. I, you know, you can, you, you'll be okay with the, this translation. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, this section on salt and light, so important. You know, we see in Genesis that God is the first light, right? He is the only light at the very beginning. There's no sun or moon or stars. There's nothing else. He is the light. And at the very beginning, in his light, he is defining things, okay? We see him, the great light, also show us that he is the great definer. He defines land from sea, earth from sky, sun from moon, male from female. His light produces the ability to define what things are. And so I talk about this a lot. When God says you're supposed to be a light, it means that you can go into a space and define what it is. And think about it, in a dark space, let's say filled with furniture, If you don't have any light and you try to go in there and move around, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to run into things. You're going to trip and fall. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to pick up things that might be dangerous. You're going to be harmed. But a light comes in and defines. And this is what God 
constantly is doing from Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's defining what things are, what things are righteous, what things are not righteous, what things are food, what things are not food, what things belong in his kingdom, and what does not. He's defining the pathway to take in order to avoid the pitfalls and the traps of the planet. Because he's the great light, and because he's the great light, he's the great definer. You are called to that same light. You should have the wisdom of the Lord to walk into any space and know right from wrong, good from evil, and to be able to help others see that and navigate that as one of the great parts of our light. And this is something that Jesus did. He came in and he, like a double-edged sword, separated his teachings from the teachings that had been added or subtracted, especially by the religious elite. And he said, no, that teaching that you added doesn't belong to me. Or, hey, you forgot about the more important teachings that I, I told you about. You're not supposed to forget about any of my teachings. Yes, bring the cumin, bring the mint, but also don't forget about justice and mercy. The very foundations, the very reasons why the law exists, right? Don't forget about the really important things. So he was coming in and he was defining. He's the great restorer of the DNA of God, right? Okay, so he's saying you're going to be doing this as well. In verse 17, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, we all know this as I abolish. Think not that I have come to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. In the Greek, the word fulfill here is the word plerau. And if you look up the definitions of plerau and where it's used in context like this, this term for fulfill that was translated as fulfill means to fill full of meaning. And this makes sense because many believe that this particular phrase was actually a rabbinical idiom. It was something that they would tell their students. So they would say, if you had misinterpreted God's law, they would say you have abolished the law. But if you interpreted rightly God's law, they would say you fulfilled the law. So he is saying, I did not come to give you the law incorrectly, to change it, to add to it, to do anything that would harm it. I came to fill it full of meaning, to rightly interpret it for you so that you rightly understand it. And is it not, I mean, it is no coincidence that right after he talks about being the light, he says, I am the light as to what my laws are. I am the light as to what God intends for the law. And I am the one who is the great definer here. He lines that right up for you, right? Home run, right there. And then in verse 19, he says, Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We have to be reminded here, what commandments? There were only Genesis through Deuteronomy and the prophets written down at the time Christ was teaching this. So he is talking about the commandments of his father right? He is talking about what was given in the law and the prophets. 
He wasn't giving them any new commands. You're not going to find Jesus giving a new command. He says at what point a new command I give you. But that context just means, hey, I haven't taught you this before. I haven't taught on this before. It's like the first time a kindergartner learns how to add. Hey, you haven't learned how to add yet. That doesn't mean addition didn't already exist. Okay, the laws of nature and the laws of God have always existed. In fact, Proverbs tells us wisdom was there at the beginning of creation, that it was through wisdom, it was through God's laws, which are wisdom, according to David, that everything was created. These things existed at the very beginning. They're older than time. They're older than anything we can possibly imagine. And so he's talking about what has always been and what will always be until heaven and earth pass away, according to Yeshua, according to Christ, okay? But he says here, if you break one of these and you teach men to break it, you don't get as high of a position in the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. So there's a hierarchy of positions when we get to the kingdom, right? And then he says, but whoever does the commands and teaches them. So you got to walk the walk and talk the talk. Hard to do right? Sometimes we talk the talk and we don't walk the walk. Got to do both. But if you do both, you have a higher position in the kingdom of heaven because you've honored the Lord on the earth, okay? Verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is interesting because now he's taking a turn. You know, he just said you have to do and teach them. And he has accused the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of teaching the commands of God sometimes, right? But not doing them, not really having the commands of the Lord in their heart and forgetting some of them, right? And not teaching some of them and changing some of them and adding to them. You know, the Talmud is complete addition of law to God's commands. It's outside of God's law. It's additional, okay? And we are we are just as guilty of doing that by our additional holidays and things that we claim we have to abide by and have to do in order to be a Christian. And God says, no, you better go back and see what I wrote. Don't add to or take away from. Okay, really care. But it's more than that. It's more than just that. And he's about to get into it here. Verse 22, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. I love this. So he doesn't say don't offer the gift. It doesn't say don't go and make things right with God through a gift or through an offering. What he says is, don't come to me. If you have a problem with your brother or sister and you haven't figured that out yet, don't even come to me. Don't come to me with a sin offering. Don't come to me with, you know, with something you want from me. Uh-uh. Your job on earth is to be making sure that you are righteously in alignment with your brother or sister, especially those who are in Christ, you go make it right, then come, then come back to me, okay? But you're in danger of hell if you even are angry with your brother. You're in danger of hell. Like, listen, this is, and this is kind of like, now, wait a second, where is this in the law, right? And this is where we start to understand, hey, 
They all knew this. We forget this sometimes. They all knew this. There was no route to salvation through the law given. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven by doing everything perfectly. It doesn't even exist in the law. It's not even a possibility. Because we lost the ability to enter heaven in the Garden of Eden, and there's no law that provides a way back. None. Because we lost too much. We lost things that we need. God is fire. If we're in his presence, he burns us to a crisp. There's no law that gives us the covering we need to be united to him. There's nothing we could do, right? So here he continues. Um, Agree with thine adversary quickly. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, you shall by no means come out till you have paid the uttermost farthing. Okay, so don't be adversarial here, right? And you've heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye offends thee, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body, that thy whole body should be cast into hell. This is so harsh, okay? If you're, you're, and this is one of my, moments where I say Yeshua was absolutely saying, hey, pornography is wrong and evil. If you even look at a woman and lust after her, you are committing adultery with her. Pluck your eye out. End this. End it. It is corrupting to your soul to be thinking this way. It really is. And you're, you're in corruption when you are, okay? So Jesus right here, hey, all of you who think pornography is okay, you believers who think it's okay, uh-uh, not according to what he says in Matthew 5, okay? But how harsh is this? Better for you to pluck out your eye than to end up in hell, right? Well, you're not gonna pluck out your eye, but what, what aren't you willing to put on the altar? What aren't you willing to give up? You know, and when I I talk to Christians about the different laws of God that we follow that they don't think we have to follow anymore, sometimes I wonder, because they think, you know, it's legalism or you're being legalistic or you're weaker for thinking you have to do that, um, even though there's no evidence in the Bible that says says that or says otherwise. But they think that way. And I said, well, not if it's God's law. Yeah, if it's man-made law, you know, that you're just making up, sure. If it's God's law, no, we need to follow it because God gave it and his law is perfect forever throughout all the generations according to scripture. But, and according to Jesus here, as we just have read, but um, if you're not willing to give up some of the things that God asks you, some of those extra things in scripture, I mean, are you really gonna give up lusting? Why, why aren't we more willing to look into God's laws and make sure we're aligning? And it's, you know, it's human nature. It's because we just don't want to. We don't want to know where we're not doing things right. But don't you understand that once you start aligning with the Lord and his things, you receive his blessing. You receive his shalom. He's a good father and he is faithful I'm not talking about monetary blessing. Everybody goes there because we're such Americans. We're not talking about prosperity gospel. We're talking about familial blessing, blessing of relationship with God, with Adonai, our father. Okay, look at where you might be out of alignment with the Lord. Cut that out. It's worth it, I promise you. 
It hath been said, whoever shall, verse 31, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. But I say to you that whoever puts away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it has been said by them of old time, you shall not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. This is interesting. Don't take an oath. But I say to you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool. That is really interesting, isn't it? God is on his throne in heaven. We are his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall thou swear by their head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay, yes, yes, or no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Don't swear an oath. Don't make oaths to God or other people because you get in real problems when you can't perform, right? If you say you're going to do something, let your yes be yes and your no, no, you fulfill it. And you do it immediately. You don't withhold if you owe good to somebody, the, the this is part of the law, actually, in the Torah. If you owe good to someone, give it to them immediately. You do not withhold. You do not hold it back. Do what you say you're going to do. So be careful about what you say you're going to do, right? Because you want to be, we call it being a man of your word. You know that comes from the Bible, interestingly, right? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's in the law. And it was actually a great blessing to the peoples of the earth to have a law like that, by the way, because they wouldn't really take out an eye. And Dennis Prager has a great explanation on this. But if if you cause somebody to lose their eye, are you really going to try to take out your eye as right restoration? You could end up killing someone that way. That could end up being wrong restoration, right? So it never meant that you were going to take someone's eye. It meant if you cause somebody to lose their eye, you pay them restoration in what that value was. If you cause somebody to go blind, you might be paying for them and helping them the rest of their lives. Okay, it's just about right restoration there. And if any man will sue you at the law and take away your coat, let him also have your cloak. And whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee and from him that would borrow of thee, do not turn away. You've heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them, which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? It's easy to love the people that love you guys. It's harder to love those that don't. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Be ye therefore perfect. What? Even as your father, which in, is in heaven, is perfect. He cannot ask this of you if it's not possible. If he says to his disciples, be ye therefore perfect as your father in heaven, and he is asking them to do something outside of the bounds of what they are capable of with the Lord's help. He is asking in evil, with evil intent. But we would never accuse Yeshua of doing so, would we? Perfect in scripture means whole and fit for its purpose. If you can love your enemy, you are being made whole and fit for your purpose. 
I love the example of Moses in this regard. Moses was leading these people out of Egypt, but they were babies in their faith. They're called the children of Israel for a reason. They were like children, okay? And they were constantly complaining, whining, moaning, groaning to the point that in certain parts of the Bible, God says to Moses, I'm just going to destroy all these people and I'm going to start again with you because these people are out of their minds. They are annoying and they are wicked and they are disobedient. And you know what Moses does? He prays on their behalf. He says, you can't do that. You made promises about these people. And if you do that, then the nations will not see the testimony of who you are. Be merciful because you are merciful. He goes to the Lord on the behalf of the people who are pestering him and making his life miserable. Okay, this is our example. We're supposed to be like Moses in humility and in meekness. We put our sword away. And we go before the Lord on behalf of our persecutors, on behalf of those, because God wants you to love the other human beings that he has made in his image, in spite, despite what they may be doing. We should be praying for our enemies. And loving them does not mean you let them walk all over you. That's not love. That's not actually the example of love in scripture. Love is that you treat them the way the law has said you should be treating them. And that you take care of people. That extra mile, that extra love, it is such a witness and a testimony. And it makes you perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Because how merciful is our God? How offensive have we been to him in the past? And yet he has drawn us near to him. And he has loved on us. And he has died for us. When we do these things, we become more like God in heaven. We become more like our father. This is perfection, right? I love Matthew 5. Okay, we're at the end of Matthew 5. There's so much more. We could dig into this for hours and hours and hours. I'm not going to do that. But I hope this has been a great reminder to you today of your call as a believer, of where you find obedience and how to be obedient, of your understanding of what salvation really is, and a reminder Love the Lord and love others today. Um, I really enjoyed doing this study. I'll be back uh, next week with your free, um, for those of you who are subscribing free, another free Bible study. And um, if you're interested, please subscribe for the paid subscription. It is $5 a month. It is one Starbucks coffee for at least four, let's see, eight uh, extra things for me during the month and possibly even more. I love you guys. Thank you so much.